Welcome to part two of the panel discussion, The Journey to Technology Modernization in Government, sponsored by PEGA. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Rob Shady, the Director of Business Mission in the Program Executive Office of Enterprise Information Systems at the U.S. Army, and Don Sherman, the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Product Marketing at PEGA. Gentlemen, welcome to the discussion. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. Army CIO Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford told me late last year about his plans to modernize the services technology. General, General Crawford's strategy is focused on network modernization, application rationalization, and data center consolidation that involves, no surprise, a more aggressive move to the cloud. Now at the same time, the CIO's office is supporting the Army's Artificial Intelligence Task Force across six areas. One of those areas, cloud infrastructure, to ensure the data is accessible and protected at all times. Now, General Crawford said the Army will update its data strategy and continue to implement its enterprise data analytics strategy as a way to further support those AI efforts. Now, that's one path. A second path is around IT modernization that the Army is heading down is enterprise IT as a service. Now, this is just at the very beginning stages in this initiative the Army hopes will actually speed up the modernization process. The Army estimates that 70% of its servers, routers, and end-user devices on its 288 worldwide facilities are at or near end of life. That figure is even higher for the equipment that handles voice communications. That's about 90%. Now, General Crawford says under the service's current modernization methodologies, replacing all that gear would take at least until 2030. And in the meantime, it would be stuck paying bills involved in maintaining an enormous amount of legacy infrastructure. The Army's challenges, really no different than many agencies, except for the size and the breadth of it all, 288 facilities worldwide. So how can the Army and really any agency for that matter, we'll change the proverbial tire as the car is still driving. Well, that's where our guests come in once again. Rob Shady, the Director of Business Mission in the Program Executive Office for Enterprise Information Systems at the U.S. Army. And Don Sherman, the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Product Marketing at PEGA. Rob, I just laid out the Army and the challenges you guys have and, and all the work you're going to get to do over the next few years. Let's, but let's back up a second and just talk IT modernization. Go walk me through the strategy a little bit. Sure. Um, First and foremost, PEOEIS's strategy is really about affecting um, sound enterprise governance with respect to our programs and the execution and implementation um, of that modernization approach. So most important for us is uh, the success and modernization with alignment of our senior leadership uh, and our budget. So vehicles looking at services is a sound way to understand better what industry can offer to us and how we can take advantage of that through the services-based approach because we can move very quickly um, and we can also support the soldiers and the end users that are out within the Army's infrastructure. The other part is um, PEOEIS is focused on data governance and dashboard technologies as a part of our modernization efforts and making sure that um, we support that application modernization with uh, those sound technologies toward cloud and disconnected operations for our soldiers is really at the heart of where we're at. There's a couple things I just want to pull in the string a little bit on. First is looking at the vehicles. There's a lot of push towards, okay, well, what contracts do you need or what contracts you don't need and what services? And are you guys looking at for specific types of vehicles that are IT modernization centric, or you're just saying, okay, what do we have today that we can already use? Do we need new ones? Do we need old ones? Where does IT modernization fit into that part? I think there is a balance between um, contract vehicles such as firm fixed price um, and other contracting vehicles where we're looking at different methodologies such as OTA processes. And finding the balance within those is really important. And again, understanding better um, how industry can support our requirements and making sure we have a good definition of those requirements is at the heart of where we're trying to get after with respect to OTA, firm fixed price, um, and the way we're going to consume those services as an army. Don, Rob said something very important, good definition of those requirements. And I think that's one of the challenges I hear time and again when we talk to agencies about IT modernization. Give me a sense of what you're seeing. Or do they understand what they need to modernize, or is that still part of the, the biggest challenge that agencies face? Well, I, I, think there, I think there are a couple of challenges, right? There's the technology challenge of sort of this crushing weight of systems, right? In many cases, you know, that will be end of life, right? The, I, I think there's, you know, we, we, we got very anticipatory a 
number of years ago about the Y2K bug, right? <laughs> that turned out not to be much, right? But I do think there is the COBOL programmer cliff of basically all of these people who are expertise in mainframe programming that still drives a lot of the agency and the commercial work in the industry. And there's a race against the clock to modernize that stuff because the talent to maintain it really no longer exists and is not necessarily coming out of the, the educational system that we have today. Right, so there's those sets of technology challenges. I think there's the contracting budgeting challenge of thinking about how you buy services that are increasingly subscription driven, right? Because that's generally how you buy them and fitting that into a procurement model that was really used to sort of fix price. I know what it's going to cost day one, right? And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be set. And I think that also aligns a lot with the challenge that I've seen as organizations struggle to move from traditional sort of waterfall based approach to projects, right? Big fixed cost, I'm going to do this for three years and I'm going to be done to a much more agile approach where the details of one sprint aren't known until I'm well into the first one. Um, and then I think the third piece of this, and, and, and this is where you get to, I think, really understanding the requirements, is we don't want to modernize just to the point of having new technology. We want to modernize because, you know, as Rob said, we want to improve the experiences for the soldier. We want to improve the experiences for the civilians and, and, and end users who work with these systems. So making sure that we're doing all of this in the context of what's the new process, what's the new experience that we want to deliver, so that we're actually building the technology that supports that, not just taking existing logic and moving it forward onto new tech. I enjoyed uh, the COBOL cliff. Yeah. I've, I've, we used to joke about fiscal cliff, yeah. but not COBOL cliff, it's the next, uh, my next Twitter handle. Talk maybe a little bit about that idea of the legacy and just the burden. We talk a lot about the legacy burden that agencies have, but what do you see when you talk to your clients, what, what, is, what, what, do you, what, what makes it real? Well, I, I, I think that, that one is, again, the amount of time spent maintaining legacy technology and depending you know, on, on who you talk to in IT organizations, I hear everything from, 60% of our time to 90% of our time is spent maintaining, right? And that's time that's not being invested in actually innovating the, the experiences of the future. So I think trying to get to a point that you're building a platform that doesn't just require you to maintain it, but actually allows you to bring it forward and build new things, I think is what every, frankly, engineer and IT person wants to do. Um, but, but I also, again, I think that there are when we look at the need to provide data visibility and transparency to people, the systems that we have today weren't built to do that. They weren't built to operate in real time. They weren't built to connect to the kinds of cloud infrastructure that we have. So even if you want to extend them or augment them with a third-party service, the technology to connect something that's legacy up to something that's restful and lives on the cloud just isn't there 100%. So there's a lot of sort of gating and throttling of possibility that I think this legacy uh, causes. And I think that's one of the driving factors to, to kind of push through it and get it modernized. When I think about our legacy challenges and what uh, the Army's up against, we really have to focus um, on hybrid. And what I mean by that is the interoperability of some of the legacy aspects that we have with respect to cloud. Um, and that's really critical with data. So we're faced with the challenges of putting application programming interfaces in place so that we can support the movement of the data across our network in support of the missions that we have. Um, and I think what's really pivotal to that is working through vehicles such as EITAS to enable those capabilities and put those capabilities in place to support those efforts and missions. And, and those real quick, EITAS, Enterprise IT as a Service. Yeah. To make yes. sure people know that. Go ahead, Don. Well, the, the, Rob, the, the word that Rob used that is, I think, key is this concept of hybrid, right? We're not moving, I don't think, to a cloud-only future. Right. Right? No, one, it wouldn't be technically, I don't think, feasible, right? Nor do I think the budget to get there makes a lot of sense. But what you want to get to is an architecture that allows legacy or on-premise systems to exist with third-party vendor services. And I think over time, it's all going to look cloudy in the sense that even the stuff we run ourselves is going to have containers and it's going to be deployed on virtualized systems and I'm going to be able to run DevOps against it so I can make changes rapidly. 
but I want my cloud, my private cloud, and various third-party clouds that I might choose to pull from the vendor landscape to interoperate together nicely. And I think you're finally starting to see some of, some of that. Google announced some things in the last month or so that were really around allowing organizations to manage multi-cloud environments. And so I, I think that, that is the world that slowly but surely we're all sort of headed towards. Rob, one of the things that uh, Don was talking about as well, as a, besides the, the COBOL piece and the legacy, was the contract budgeting challenges that come with it. And, and that's something obviously PEOEIS takes a lot of time out of me. When you started off, you talked about the different contracting and, and, and looked at the different vehicles. The, the move to a subscription-based or consumption model is still been probably the slowest piece that we've seen across government. Are you guys starting to find a way to move there, or is that still maybe the one big challenge that is standing in your way? I think some of the challenges with subscription-based models um, include how we actually work with our third parties to get there. AWS services have resources that are available, but they will only accept uh, billing on a monthly basis. So trying to work through um, you know, uh, a third party to put that together and make that happen um, is kind of a critical aspect to the way that we acquire. And we are very much wanting to uh, consume only what we need to use as a part of that, which makes it difficult from the aspects of a firm fixed price paradigm model. So maybe it's how we redefine firm fixed price for the periods of time that we need it that will help enable us to um, a utilization-based approach in the cloud. So let me put a finer point on that because when you say define firm fixed price for the period when you use it, the, you could have a customer or the Army PEOEIS could say we, for the month of, of June, we think we're going to use X. And then for July, we're going to use X minus one. And then for August, we'll use X plus two that type of thing? Or are you even talking about a pay-as-you-go model where over six months we won't use more than a million dollars, but we're going to do the billing as we use it? I think or am I messed up all of it? No, <laughs> I, I think we're really focused on um, first understanding the way that we can consume, and then the periods of time that we can um, spin up the resources when they're needed and spin down those resources when they're not. And being able to put some sort of firm fixed price around the periods of time that we're using it versus when we're not using it do fall within that firm fixed price paradigm model. And th those are the areas that we're, we're trying to explore. A uh, good example is GSA measured services. Uh, that just hit the street. So we're actually looking at um, using those types of vehicles to consume cloud to better understand how we can support our customers and functionals with respect to those acquisition models. Don, react to that as well, because one of the biggest challenges that that I think a lot of vendors have is they're used to paying by the drink, right? If you yeah. know, Pega, if you were buying cloud services from a from a vendor, you're yeah. paying as you need yes. it. And but the, the going back to the government world, that's not necessarily the case. How do you guys deal with that, either internally or externally? Yeah. Well I think I, I I think that's a you know I think that this is a great conversation for me as a vendor to be able to listen to, right? Because I think it's incumbent on us to work with our partners in the agency side, the government side, to begin to develop sort of plans that work for both needs, right? That work across both and understand the sort of complexities and challenges, right, of the, the government contracting process, but also I think have a view towards the benefits of a usage-based pricing model Right, which I think does allow you to burst up and burst down, right? And I think there are lots of scenarios when you think about the army and the utilization of software, where being able to come in and out of software as you need it at different time schedules probably actually economically makes sense in terms of in terms of the spend. You know, in our client base, which goes across both the commercial and the governmental side, we still see mixes. We still see clients who you know, prefer to pay us on a more traditional fixed fee basis. And for example, in a lot of the a lot of the manufacturing space, there's capital expenditure that they associate with software, right? And that fixed fee cost still makes much more sense to them than it does a sort of monthly subscription. And so as a vendor, we try to be flexible and, and work with that. Obviously, we like to see more of the, the, the software relationships move towards that subscription model, but we have to be aware of where our clients are coming from. 
And, and Rob, talk a little bit about, are you guys experimenting yet? Are you trying this consumption-based model? Um, from an Army perspective and PEO EIS, we're really working to understand applications that are the right fit in cloud, but then also look at our customer and user utilization within the cloud. And we do know based off the utilization and periods of time, especially with respect to financial type of systems, there's certain periods of the year where they're very heavily used and we have to spin up that utilization to support that. And there's long periods of time where they're not as heavily used and we don't need as much resources within the cloud. So that's a perfect opportunity to kind of explore what that means and what we can realize in terms of cost savings or benefit. I think that's a great example of financial systems, end of the month, beginning of the month, whatever it is, they, they need more resources and in the middle of the month they probably need less. Uh, we also see that with certain uh, other types of needs, maybe not so much for the Army, but I know in the civilian world, are you starting to see that, Don, as well? Great example. We're working with the U.S. Census, right? And you talk about something that has a spike in need, right? Every four years, pretty big deal, and then it comes right back back down again. So we're working with them to deploy that on GovCloud so that, that they can take advantage of that utilization model and also support the pretty substantial spike in both citizens and also census takers using that software. So this, that's a, to me, that's a classic example of where you see that kind of time. -based. And I imagine as well that for the census, different maybe discussion, but just you'll also see something where at the beginning of the month when all the numerators go out, they'll yep. see a spike, and at the end of the month, when, or, or some, yep. some sort of uh, approach that way. Right, and the cloud-based cloud model allows you to support that, right? So, so we've done a lot of testing around sort of validating the various expected peak usage to make sure that, that it can support it, but it also work, doesn't demand that they actually deploy for peak usage all through the, through the cycle. Prepared. All right, on that note, let's take a quick break and come back, we can continue our discussion. You're listening to part two of the journey to technology modernization in government, sponsored by PEGA on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. High-risk programs, information silos, and disconnected government experiences are a thing of the past. PEGA transforms your organization from digital chaos to streamlined digital automation. PEGA's no-code software includes artificial intelligence, robotic automation, and a unified government-ready platform. PEGA empowers your employees, streamlines your operations, and delivers personalized experiences to the right people at the right time. Now that's digital transformation done right. Learn more at pega.com government. Welcome back, you're listening to part two of the journey to technology modernization in government, sponsored by PEGA on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Rob Shady, the Director of Business Mission in the Program Executive Office for Enterprise Information Systems at the U.S. Army, and Don Sherman, the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Product Marketing at PEGA. During the last segment, we've talked about kind of different pieces and parts of this IT modernization, if you will, roadmap of this, of this journey that I think a lot of agencies are on. And something that you both mentioned was the data piece. So let's go down that path a little bit. One of the reasons why that the IT modernization is so important is because of, of this tsunami of data, the big yeah. data challenge. Yeah. So Don, start with maybe this idea of, of why, where IT modernization fits to bring data together. We mentioned APIs, we're gonna get to that yeah. in a second, but give me, give me a sense. Yeah, I, I, I think there, there are a couple of, of sides to this. I mean, Obviously, one, the the push to AI enable anything, right? And AI is a beast that feeds on data, right? That's how we train it. That's how we find insights from it. That's how we drive it. So that demands that we have systems that are actually able to feed the AI engines if we want to drive any insight, if we want to discover inefficiencies, if we want to discover better ways of operating, if we want to fine tune, that needs data. And most of the underlying system infrastructure that we have is not built to deliver the data in that way. It's not built to work with the massively scaled sort of non-relational data structures that these engines tend to use. So there's a huge sort of technology need to modernize or at least API-ify some of the back ends so that we can begin to feed into that. I, I think there's another piece, which is we increasingly have workers and employees who want and expect transparency, visibility into that data through business intelligence tools so they can be able to mine it, see the status, get, 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 the, um, get a view into where the mission is at any given point in time. And 
again, the lack of sort of real-time ability to not just look at one system, but pull data from a series of systems together. And that continual problem of business intelligence, I think, is, is also a big driver of a lot of this. From the Army perspective, I don't want to say that we're necessarily in the dark, but each one of our functional areas, especially with respect to business missions, um, has had its data. And we're just now turning the light on with respect to data and the way that data needs to be um, worked across each one of the functional domains. We're addressing questions that, um, frankly, we may not have had um, thought of before. So we are really focused on data accuracy through business process. And one of the methods that we're really employing is um, agile methods working with our functionals to understand what those business processes are and then how we need to work back through to bring accuracy and results in that data for dashboard type of technologies. Let, let me jump in for a second. Rob, one of the things that Don mentioned was AI, and I mentioned in my beginning that the Army has an AI task force. The Army is doing a lot of work around data and, and, and mashing those two things together. Where does the PUEIS fit in when, it, when we talk AI task force and, and and the, the feeding the beast? Um, so at present, CIOG6 is, Army CIOG6 is responsible for the AI task force. I see PEOEIS fitting into that by supporting the data cleansing efforts and to make sure that those processes and data will support those artificial intelligence needs and requirements. Are you guys sitting on the task force yet? Or are you guys just kind of getting some, some to-do lists, if you will? I think we're getting to-do lists to make sure we're focused on the cleansing of that data. Perfect. Um, and then, Don, jump in as well, because the, the, the couple of things that Rob talked about, data accuracy, uh, th there's always this push, well, we, the data has to be perfect before mm -hmm. we can use it. And we know that's not the case, but people still have to get, kind of get past that. W where does the IT modernization kind of roadmap fit in to, to kind of ensure, because begin using your data get results from the data. Yeah, I, 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 I really liked hearing Rob use the term process around data, right? And not just because I work for a process software company. But, but, the, but, but I really do think that, that too often data cleanliness initiatives are viewed entirely through the lens of sort of master data management, right? As a big one-time batch, I'm going to shove a bunch of data here, I'm going to shove a bunch of data there, we're going to clean it up, boom, new system, good to go. Where, whereas really... Data cleanliness needs to be viewed as sort of an ongoing and continuous thing the business needs to put in place. So how do you make sure that you actually have those processes that every time data gets touched, it's being cleansed, that every time it's getting validated? And that's especially important because, to, to Rob's other point, a lot of this data effort is about creating or merging, at least virtually, data that historically has lived in different missions or different silos of the, of, the, of the organization. So having those processes that work across all of that and making sure that data that's getting updated over here is actually finding itself relevant and checked against the needs of this group over there, that really requires not just technology, but a lot of process thinking about how you're going to have that, where does ownership of different elements of the data live, and who becomes accountable for maintaining it. Rob, do you want to talk a little bit about that data ownership issue and the process thinking? Because I think, as you said, you're bringing in a lot of, the Army's bringing a lot of different pieces and parts. So is, 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 there's a chief data officer, at least there was in the Army at one point. I'm sure there's going to be one again. <laughs> Where's PEO, EISC, kind of the data cleansing piece and, and the data kind of as you bring it all together? Enterprise data governance is really paramount, um, as, as Dom was alluding to. And, and for the Army, our approach has been to focus on each one of those functional domains and have data ownership within those domains to kind of harmonize and bring everything together. Um, and again, the focus is on the business process because we know that data will change, that those data elements will change over time. Um, but that focus of ownership and governance from an enterprise perspective is really paramount for us to continue operating and moving forward. And bringing sort of a life cycle uh, approach to the way that we manage our data um, is part of that, that process that we want to put in place. And I think this tags back well to the broader conversation of IT modernization because 
once you kind of have that governance and those process changes address them, that's when you can then insert the APIs and then the missions can really start to benefit from that data. Where are you guys down this path right now? Are you just in the governance business process or are you starting to kind of have some, some pockets of, of success of getting data to the mission area much more quickly much in a, in a much better way? Um, I, I think as an army, we've had some great successes with respect to getting the data um, to our dashboard type of capabilities that we've put in place. Um, and, and we see that through the questions that are being asked and the way we're operationalizing, if you will, in support of the mission, um, the answers that we need to have for uh, the data that we're receiving. And again, being able to kind of visualize that and start down that path of understanding what's in the realm of possible and knowing what question to ask to tune that data is our focus and really where we're at with this agile approach we're taking to um, data management within the Army. And Don, jump in, because let's broaden this maybe, what are you seeing from customers in the federal government or state and local or, or, or private sector when it comes to data? Where are a lot of these organizations at in terms of managing data to get to the point where where uh, Rob's talking about. Well, I think I think a, lo a lot of them are in similar spaces, right? There's been progress towards sort of a dashboard, right? Let's get common views so that we can all work off that. I think the next phase is is really getting organizations to think about, okay, now what does this allow us to innovate? What does this allow us to push forward? And and I think the broader the broader point here that I think is really important is so much of what we call enterprise IT modernization isn't actually systems, right? It, <laughs> like, like it, it, it isn't actually, the challenge of building an API isn't actually building the API. You get a couple smart engineers, you build an API kind of quick, right? The challenge is actually thinking about the mission and the functions of the business through the context of that API and getting the organization aligned around that API being a window into a function in a business, and that is far harder than the, the actual sort of technical challenge of, okay, I'm gonna write some code that generates a REST service on the other end, right? So I think where, where, where I see organizations either succeed or fail is at that part of the, uh, uh, of the, of the journey. And, and then that's what enables you to pull this stuff together you know, into process. So we're working with DSS on the, the National Background Investigation System, so you know, how you actually drive background checks and security clearances, right? And and automating that from end to end, which is really where the end sort of value comes, first demands that all the underlying systems have the data and the APIs in place that I can actually construct that process together across what has really historically been a number of different functions. I think it's important too to um, focus on platform-based technologies it really kind of harmonizes that community against the way things are done. And it brings focus to other innovations and ideas to help support um, that end-to-end -end process. And using the right platform technologies, um, we as the Army have put KPIs and metrics in place to kind of track and manage everything that's going on. But then we've also found opportunities to um, for example, innovate with automation through incidents and service desk capabilities. That has been a tremendous benefit um, toward, toward taking away time that can be applied toward mission and the soldier. Well, that's, and that's, I think, kind of what you guys are getting at with the whole idea of enterprise architecture as a service, right? Is providing that platform then becomes the common working point for different functions to come together. One of the things that I'm hearing through this conversation is getting data to the right people so they can make better decisions. And, and I think in many ways for any organization, that's the end goal. Uh, it's nice to have modern systems. It's nice, as, as uh, Don was talking about, it, it's rarely the technology. It's, it's always the change of business process or the culture. We love yeah. to say that. Uh, so Rob, maybe lead off with a little bit. The, the APIs you're starting to see in the dashboard, but what's if you look forward a little bit, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but the end goal of all of this is so the commanders and people on the battlefield can make better decisions in real time. Are you guys, are you, do you see that end goal? Is, is the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak? I think to some extent we are getting a better handle in what capability is going to be enabled to support that mission. 
Um, the small wins, such as service desk capabilities, that allow, for example, a soldier to self-serve, change their password, which is one form of automation, all the way to looking through problems to solve their own issues or problem is the sort of light that we're bringing to the end of the tunnel with the soldier. When we start going down the path of artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're very much going to embrace the direction that Lieutenant General Crawford is laying out to kind of discover what's in the realm of possible and where the Army needs to make those investments to support those initiatives. And I think that that concept of getting to quick wins, right, of doing the sort of proof of concept and really buying the credibility with a large organization to succeed is the way that you get there, whether that's, you know, on the modernization of a data process or even in the modern, even in the beginning of using something, you know, like like AI technology. You know, we worked with a, a large bank um, in Australia and one of their pilot use cases for AI technology was just simply, can we automate the inbound take of emails so that we don't have to manually reply to every email that comes in, right? And, and getting people to understand, that, hey, that can add some value. It can take a little bit of burden off of our servicing team so they're, they're not actually replying to emails all day. Gets comfort of some of these new technologies and also starts people's wheels turning about, okay, where, where, where in my mission can I apply this? Where in what I do could I apply this to make it better for my stakeholders? Don, this has come up a couple of times, this idea of automation, and, and I think Rob's example of you know, changing passwords, which yeah. we all hate. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you should use this password anymore. I thought it was all uh, CAC, yeah. but maybe not. Um, but I guess my question for you, Don, is around automation, and, and where does that kind of start to play into this as well? What are you starting to see? Well, so, so I think that, I think there are, one area where we've seen it is in this concept of robotic automation or RPA, and and I actually think of RPA as a legacy modernization bandaid, right? I don't think it's an end state where anybody necessarily wants to be, but the nice thing about RPA is because it with the way it works is it interacts with a desktop system the way a human does. So if you've got a legacy system that doesn't have an API, it gives you a shortcut of getting at that system and beginning to pull that system's data into the process. So using that as a kind of quick fix band-aid to automate some portions of the user experience or to be able to pull data into a broader process we've seen is, is really useful. You know, I also think that there's, there also has to be an increased amount of automation on the IT side itself. If you, you know, the, the, the hot topics around DevOps and continuous integration, continuous deployment is really around modernization of the software development lifecycle. So the other thing that's important as you roll out some of these new agile approaches is backing that up with the automation that's really what actually allows a team of developers to move at scale but also do it safely. So I think there are lots of places where we see automation sort of sliding in as part of the modernization agenda, both to help accelerate fill some near-term gaps. And then, as I said earlier, you know, the whole purpose of this is to get to better processes and better experiences. And that doesn't, that, that generally think, means things that are more automated, but generally in a way of making them more seamless. It, there's a lot of automation that's required to allow somebody to self-serve change their password, right? But the goal here is not the automation. The goal is to enable you know, my constituents and my soldiers in the field to do this password change quickly right. and easily without having to spend a bunch of time on the phone to make it happen. Exactly. And, and, jump and real quick. just to address the Army's approach with RPA, um, we have ITGC and Risk Management Framework Compliance Initiatives. RPA has been really instrumental in two ways, to discover accounts that we haven't been using for long periods of time which also leads to opportunities to negotiate over licensing and to understand our costs moving forward. So RPA has been incredibly efficient and useful with application to some of our business systems. Um, and it's an area we'll continue to explore as we're in a legacy environment. And I know that the Army Financial Management Office also is exploring RPA quite a bit. There's a lot of uh, stuff going around we could talk a lot more, but we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to part two of the journey to technology modernization in government, sponsored by PEGA on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 
high-risk programs, information silos, and disconnected government experiences are a thing of the past. PEGA transforms your organization from digital chaos to streamlined digital automation. PEGA's no-code software includes artificial intelligence, robotic automation, and a unified government-ready platform. PEGA empowers your employees, streamlines your operations, and delivers personalized experiences to the right people at the right time. Now that's digital transformation done right. Learn more at pega.com slash government. Welcome back. You're listening to part two of the journey to technology modernization and government sponsored by Pega on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Rob Shady, the director of business mission in the program executive office for enterprise information systems at the Army. And Don Sherman, the chief technology officer and vice president of product marketing at Pega. We spent a lot of time talking about the, the need for change, the importance of data, the IT modernization journey, and a key piece to that, and I think we kind of have touched upon it, but let's go into a little more detail, is, and, and, and Don, you brought this up, this idea of, of culture change rather than technology, anyone can write an API. I, I think, and, and let's actually start with Rob on this one, I think that's the probably one of your biggest challenges is getting the, the, the people in the army, the service members, and the civilians to, to march in a different direction, if you will. How are you guys doing that? Yeah, um, from an IT modernization and automation standpoint, right? It's about changing culture, impacting the way um, that that we need to focus that culture through modernization, and it's really about understanding the agile methods that we want to move toward. It's about instilling a culture of business agility, um, and also finding technology experts. Um, that can learn and adapt quickly to the new technologies that we want to move to. So finding the right motivation, training, coaching, experience, and expertise is part of our vision in terms of the workforce of the future to uh, move forward through our modernization efforts. In a lot of ways, this idea of agile methodology, this agility, common themes here, as you're changing the, the, the services you're providing, you need help to understand that, and that's the external side. We're going to get to that in a sec. But you also need the people on the internal to think about it differently, and, and I think that's where the PUEIS has always been kind of at the forefront of, of thinking differently. Is that because of the culture you have already internally at PUEIS, or is that because of people you hire? Give me a sense of, because it's hard for a lot of agencies. Right, I think it's been a mix of both. We, like most IT organizations, had a lot of turnover. Um, and being in government, we've had a lot of people retire. So it's giving us an opportunity to fill the ranks with um, the future modernization sort of requirements and technologies with the skills that we need through the hiring processes. Uh, but again, it's, it's providing us that opportunity to really understand um, how to bring the right skills in and focus on our functional and customer needs and requirements through that right user experience. Uh, Don, jump in here because the, the piece that I see a lot of times happen in industry is industry wants to change, bring in this new culture, and the agency goes, whoa, that's a little too fast. Yep. Are you seeing that internal, we're going to talk internal first, is that internal culture starting to change? I, I think it is, and I think partly it's because it has to. I think partly it is also demographic. You know, I think as we bring younger people into the agency and younger people into the workforce, they come with a different view of technology than we have historically had. You know, there's, there's just not a fear of technology in the people coming into to the workforce today, right? That, that was sort of there even 15, 20 years ago. Every, everybody, everybody's a techie. As a member of Generation X, yeah. let me jump in here for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Do you really think, though, that there was a fear I, I back in, 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 like, when we were younger? I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a fear. Yeah. I think it was, so, so I'll correct myself there, <laughs> right? But, but what, 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 I, what I think there was, was there were people who were into computers, and there, then the, and there was everybody else, yeah, right? Enough. I think we've now sort of hit a boundary where everybody carries a computer around with them 24 hours a day, right? So many of the concepts of even how you program is getting baked into something that every child goes through at school or figures out by playing Minecraft and building a world there, right? So there's this emergence of technologies, you know, low code is the latest buzzword, which is really around allowing 
not programmers to piece together a new business process or a new app, right, that I think fits into that idea of empowering different types of roles in the organization. And I think the, the technology teams of the future aren't just going to be great programmers. They're going to be people who can sit with one foot in understanding the mission, right, and then figure out how to make that mission come alive through the technology. And that's a different set of skills than we've historically staffed, I think, at IT. Yeah, I, I think that's great because, you know, being a Gen Xer too, when I was growing up, <laughs> I was called a nerd, right? And that wasn't the cool thing to be. Right. Um, but in today's world, being a nerd really is the cool thing to be. Uh, and that, to me, really is a sounding board for um, exactly like Don's saying, they're growing up with the technology in their hands. They know how to enable it. And it really impacts, um, I would say, the training aspects of, of our mission. So you don't have to spend a tremendous amount of time um, training in technology because it is much more easily understood. And generational gaps have proven that technology is easily uh, adaptable to, to I would say, like the millennial type of generation because they've grown up with it. So a good example um, in terms of training within the Army, especially on an iPhone, we were showing how to pinch and zoom on a screen. Well, those are inherent things that most people understand and know how to do, so we don't have to spend an inordinate, um, in, inordinate amount of time to um, focus on that or train in it. So. Uh, those are kind of the pleasures of growing up with technology. I have to go off topic for a second. What was your first computer? Uh, my first computer was a Commodore 64. Yes. Same here. There Same you go, here. three of them. Yeah. Yep. Well, so, afterwards, I'll have to tell you a story yeah, about my Commodore 64. Yep. The best one-on-one, -on -one Larry Bird, D Dr. J, a game ever. But uh, let's go back to the, the real discussion here. I think you make a, a great point of people who uh, grew up with computers and, and are not afraid, and, and yep. now there's an inherentness. What does that mean for the external customers too then? I mean, this also puts more pressure on agencies and organizations. Well, yeah, as, as, as Rob was saying, you know, the, the, you've got this, this new generation that's more facile with technology, but they also expect it to be good. <laughs> like, like they, they don't want a, you know, really ugly, confusing internal, you know, system with hundreds of fields and strange character codes that they can't figure out how to put in. They want it to feel like an app on their phone. So I think there's also you know, this need to bring in skills into this modernization program that we haven't always thought of, like user experience designers who can actually sit and think about not just, hey, does the software functionally work, but is it usable? Is it something that people naturally want to engage with and adopt? And that's a, that's a completely different set of skills, I think, that I've traditionally seen, for example, in agency IT. Rob, talk a little bit about that, too, because you have a huge set of people who you have to make happy. You have you know, soldiers in the field who need data, need easy equipment, need to take their iPhones with them that are doing programming in the field. Right. And then you have commanders who have other needs, and then you have generals who have other needs. How are you dealing with that user experience piece? Uh, I, I think it's critical and it's important. And, and a soldier is at the centerpiece of everything we do is PEOEIS. Uh, and that is kind of hard to balance, not just from a generational standpoint, but from an expectation standpoint. So user experience is everything. Really what you're talking about is as you are developing something and as you're going, okay, well, does this make sense? You need to test people to test it. You need people right. to tell you, no, this makes no sense for me. I'm in the field and you have to add push 16 buttons. Oh, well, we didn't think about that. Do you, do you have that type of uh, approach that you're getting soldiers in the field, but also people in the base and, and just a, a wide variety of people? Right. I, I think the expectation in the user experience is, is about the attitude um, and the way that, that a product is going to affect their use. So making sure that it is at a standpoint or, or um, user experience perspective that it can be customizable to some extent in terms of what uh, a general officer may want to see versus what um, you know, the specialist may want to see and then bridging that gap in between. So having highly customable applications that can pull in the information that's necessary and relevant to those different groups and perspectives is really important. And this gets back to something that Don talked about was the platform. 
Yeah. If, if you have a standard platform, then everything that sits on top of that platform, the data can be collected and be showed in a dashboard. Uh, so maybe Don, talk a little bit about where the, the, why that IT modernization perspective fits in with this user-centered experience is, well, uh, challenges. Well, I, I think a lot of it you know, comes down to some degree of using that platform as a way of insulating the user from the complexity of the underlying legacy that, that provides it. I mean, I always almost think of that platform as sort of like a wrapping layer that goes and sits on top so that I can build something that interacts with the user in the way that they want to interact and doesn't force them to understand my legacy in order to figure out how to get something they want to right. get done, right? And so with these platforms, you know, what we're, what we're working with organizations to do is, you know, for example, at Veterans Affairs, we work with how they engage with their vendors and drive payments, right? So how do I make that processing easy so that the vendor that I'm working with wants to come back and continue to do business with us at a good price? Well, that means that I need to build a process that sits on top of all of the legacy billing and ERP and builds an experience built for what that constituent wants. And I think that's the key here because you're, you're, the customization, everyone gets worried when we talk customization, well, you don't want to go too far off. But I think if you have that platform, that standard platform, then this, you don't really customize, customizing the skin, right? The outward skin, the internal is all the same. I mean, is, is that the way you see it, Don? Yeah, I, well, and I, I, we've found, look, that there are architectural tenants that make sense and make that possible. I think it's really important to separate inside that platform the data layer, right? So how these various APIs feed up into the data that I want to use from the actual process that I want to drive somebody through, like what are the stages that I need to go through to get a piece of work done, from the way I then turn around and present that to somebody, which may be a mobile app, but it may be a traditional desktop, or it may be you know, an Apple Watch that's got some. So, so keeping that level of demarcation pretty clear in the architecture becomes important because that's what allows you to then go and do, okay, I'm going to fix this data stuff under the covers as I do some APIs and consolidation. I'm going to think about the process from the terms of what's the outcome that my constituent's trying to get to and making it easier and faster for them to get there, like changing their password. And then I think from a design perspective, okay, well, how do I expose that into a mobile app versus how do I expose that onto a traditional web experience? And, and, and one of the things that we're really focused on is making sure that we're not customizing, right? And we want to embrace out-of-the-box technology as, as much as possible so we can enable things like mobile through HTML5. Um, and, and we have a baseline for the way that we're managing and using and governing what we have. So out of the box is really important, especially when it comes to the processes that align with um, the technology itself. And mobile is another big piece, Rob, for the Army and really for all agencies. Are you guys starting to kind of make some decisions when it comes to IT modernization? Is how, does it, how do you become, if not mobile first, then mobile 1A? Um, I, I think mobile is part of our modernization effort. And as an army, the more that we standardize on technology and, and um, the, the um, way technology is applied, a good example again is HTML5, the better we'll be able to enable mobile. So the less that we customize, the more that we standardize on what's out there, the better off that we'll be in terms of the capability for that soldier. And Don, how much, uh, when you talk to your, again, customer yeah. agencies, is mobile, that's, is that the, again, I mean, the right huge part of what we're doing? Obviously with census, right, right. Where, where that's a huge part of, of the experience of sending, you know, a couple hundred thousand people out into the field to go do the enumeration. Um, you know, the, one of the interesting things that, that we've also worked both with census and with other clients on is how to think about mobile in what is still an intermittently connected world, right? Yeah. So, you know, and I think that would probably especially apply, again, to the Army, where you're not always going to have a mobile signal everywhere you go. So how do you build and design apps that operate in some degree of disconnectedness? You know, we've applied architecture. There's a new acronym called OSCO, which is online is a special case of offline. So basically <laughs> designing the app to run offline and then sync when it gets back online. And, and to Rob's point, 
using the out-of-the-box capabilities of these platforms so that you can take advantage of what technologies like HTML5 and CSS and JavaScript frameworks do pretty natively is the right way to, right way to approach this. Gentlemen, this has been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time before I let you go. When we start talking about the future in terms of where we're all heading and where customers are heading and where the Army is heading, and maybe Rob, lead us off since you let us off at the very beginning of the conversation. IT modernization is setting the path forward for the Army in many ways. When we have this conversation again in two years, five years, 10 years, where are we going to be from PEO, EIS's perspective? I want to hit on a point that Don made earlier. I think it's the way that we're managing and driving toward the governance of technology. I think that's a really important aspect. It, it might be almost um, grassroots or foundational, if you will. But it's those foundational ways that we manage through business that will help us enable the way that we need to consume and use the technologies that are um, offered to us or available to us. So from a PEOEIS perspective and an Army perspective, it's really about how we govern, how we uh, partner with industry to understand the technologies that are out there, and how we're going to put those technologies in the hands of the soldier to enable the mission. All right, Don, about 30 seconds. Yeah, I'm going to steal uh, what Rob said earlier. I think we're, it's going to be a hybrid world, right? It's going to be hybrid in terms of how we combine new cloud technologies with existing sort of legacy and on-premise. I think we're going to have hybridization of the business side of the mission and IT coming together. This cannot be an IT alone or a business alone kind of thing. And even when we think about things like automation, it's not going to be a world where we're using technology to replace what the people are doing, but it's how do we effectively use technology to empower them and make the constituents, the soldiers, the participants better each and every day. All right, very good. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. So let me thank my guests. Rob Shady, the Director of Business Mission in the Program Executive Office for Enterprise Information Systems at the U.S. Army. Rob, thank you so much for your time. And Don Sherman, the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Product Marketing at PEGA. Don, thank you as well. Pleasure. You've been listening to part two of the journey to technology modernization and government sponsored by PEGA on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search PEGA. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, The Journey to Technology, Modernization, and Government, sponsored by PEGA on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.